This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Rumya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. So I always make the claim that I'm not really a Christmas person. However, the few days before Christmas, this kind of window we're in right now, I enjoy. As a kid, loved all the music playing. Loved if we got some snow because we broke the toboggans out. Oh, of course, you were hoping you'd get another toboggan or something at Christmas time, just because you really needed it. Not so. Therefore, behind me, the set dressing behind me is the look of Christmas. We've got a Christmas tree next to a window. Got some snow out there, however, uh, over my left shoulder, over the right shoulder. The fireplace is a going. So, Ramya. What a feel to warm me up, to make me think of hot chocolate coming in from tobogganing, even though my family never had a roaring fire. Oh, yeah. It sounds really nice. I think the, the control room is loving the Christmassy vibe because um, I've been told that I have now red and green pillars behind me. The usual uh, white and purple um, have now been turned to Christmas. Isn't Magic. that nice having that kind of stuff? So, like, it's amazing with the pillars that Rumi is speaking about in the studio that they have that control. And I know a lot of you yep. is you have those different lights around your house. You can do this and that. And and I think it's so beautiful. Our society can go with that mood, that flavor of the time. Or sometimes we take a few moments to honor something. Um, we see that a lot with the big buildings, like in Toronto, the, the CN Tower and so on. And I, I think that's really neat. It is really neat and technologically really neat as well. Oh, yeah. So many things we can do. Folks, we've got a lot ahead on the program, so Rami and I will bring it on for you. Coming up today on today's show, Mind Your Own Business returns Wednesday, January 3rd at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv, and that's also available on AMI+. Plus. Uh, today, we're going to speak with Kelly Bron Johnson about her role on the series this season as a mentor. Also, there's a free concert series at Vancouver's beautiful and inclusive downtown church. And community reporter Carol Yapel is going to tell us more about that. And also today on Know Your Rights, Danielle McLaughlin speaks with the Honorable Francis Kitely about a project that involves Afghan women judges who are now here in Canada. That conversation later on in Hour 2 here on Kelly and Rumya. So we've been talking a lot about certain words, Rum, uh, phrases, most looked up this or that. Mm -hmm. Google has released its most searched for topics. Google has released its Year in Search, a roundup of 2023's top global queries. The ongoing Israel-Hamas war topped news trends in 2023, followed by the Titan, the submersible that imploded in June while taking tourists to the wreckage of the Titanic. The devastating earthquakes in Turkey and Syria also topped news trends. Damar Hamlin was Google's top trending person on search this year. The Buffalo Bills player went into cardiac arrest on the field during a January game, but has since celebrated a comeback. Hamlin was followed by actor Jeremy Renner, who survived a serious snowplow accident at the beginning of the year. And in entertainment, Barbie dominated Google search's movie trends, followed by Oppenheimer. I'm Donna Water. See, I, I thought Oppenheimer 
would have beaten out Barbie just on the mere fact that really? Barbie's that continuing trend. But I obviously understand Oppenheimer isn't necessarily something that many Barbie people is more may... than just a movie, man. It, yeah, for it's sure. A and, but, and Oppenheimer, now. <laughs> when you're talking about something exactly, but it's that movement that's been there forever. Mm -hmm. At least it seems for mm -hmm. us because Fair. it, you know, straddles so many generations and and that. But uh, Demar Hamlin, uh, what a situation last year that had. And I, I go back to the discussions we've had a lot this year of people who may not necessarily be sports fans, people who may not be fans of, of an artist, as we saw with Taylor Swift and the situation over there, but how the straddling grabs on to so many people, makes people know, hey, all I got to do is turn to my left here and ask my Google yep. a question about this and be brought in on it and become an expert on the subject. Isn't it interesting all the different ways we search, right? Like now we're not, mm. when we used to uh, have these year-end reviews of Google searches, I imagine, or I think of the last time, like I typed in my search bar, yes. right? But now- And it took it to a Wikipedia page right. as we were speaking last week about or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah, but it was like a laptop computer situation. Now we're thinking, okay, obviously people are asking their smart devices all these questions. Uh, there are apps that are all Google associated, right? So these are just like different ways that we're getting in on the Google searches and quick snippets and and uh, easy sharing versus just going in and having like entire research projects. So sometimes I think even like the trends get bigger just because these are already trending and they keep coming up for us and then we look further in. And it's wild too, like when we think about um, the things that have happened all the way back in January that feels like just yesterday. Well, I chuckle whenever I think we do the Google searches and, and whatever means we use because of being years ago, a, a, an avid user of Yahoo. I'll type in oh Yahoo, God. go to that page and do a search. Or the other one? Lycos was another one. And then along came this Google thing. You know, let's, let's Google it. Ha, ha, ha. That's kind of funny. And you thought, but to get the idea of what players stepped aside, what players were moved aside, and how gigantic the search engine mm -hmm. uh, at, you know, of Google would become, and of course, so much more involved and so many other things connected and were then. But really, when you started just playing on a computer and, well, I want to know what this means. I'll do a Lycos. Go, what's this Google thing? It's just amazing to me where we look ahead now and we know that things will look different, especially with all the AI stuff going on in six months. Right. Two years. Yeah. Five years, whatever it might be then. And of course, our smart speakers, there, there you go. Another subject altogether to make us look like geniuses turning and saying, Assistant hey. app, so easy. <clears throat> oh, my goodness. Assistant beside you all the time. We'll talk a little more technology, ladies and gentlemen, on the other side of the break. iOS 17.2 is releasing soon or out there for some of us. What is the biggest update coming? Michael Babcock will let us know in a couple of minutes. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. So the topic uh, that was floating around um, out there today, I heard on the radio, talking about when you give a gift, is it yeah. okay to give that gift certificate? Yeah, we know that. People seem to be okay with that. But we're now moving past that because people are saying, yeah, you know, it's even better um, if you just give money. 
And I don't know if that's just the days of being more comfortable with GoFundMes and things like that, uh, or just simply not wanting to waste people's time or that little guess of, well, I hope they like it. Who cares? They'll never tell you if they didn't anyway. Just get it. Let's just get this over with. Um, how long have you been on that boat of it's fine to give money or, or that gives Plenty fine, plenty. And for me, it's not just Christmas. Like we have, you know, Diwali birthdays. and birthdays and all these other things that just with the family, uh, traditionally, it's so okay for people to give money. It's just a gesture most of the time, not like, you know, actual gifting. Like everybody's giving money. Mm -hmm. I give you money, you give me money. So uh, yeah, there's no poo-pooing uh, cash on Christmas either. I'll take Would what I can get. Would you do it if you guys had a exchange, say at work or something like that, a gift no, exchange? No, it's got to be gift card, thing. like cash in the form of a gift card, right? That that's much feels much more appropriate, and probably like in a card or something. But with my family, you just be giving out envelopes of money. Sometimes just straight cash. <laughs> like, no that formalities like here. You just sit back and step up there and just put the lights up high yeah. and say, we're welcome to the game show, everybody. Yeah. This is what we're playing. <laughs> Give away the money. But it's more like we don't look the other way. Like, it doesn't feel strange to no. be given cash. Yeah. No. And you know right where they're going to go. And one could argue, well, you could go and just get it for them. Mm -hmm. No, they might want a $300 gift, but six of us compiled together, they get what they want, not just a bunch of six things that they're... Oh, this is nice. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, that's Ramya Muth, and she's at the studio in Toronto. Kelly McDonald here at the Home Studio London, Ontario. Let's get to our weekly tech talk. We do this with Michael Babcock. App news, device reviews, security advice, and more. It's time to talk tech with me, Michael Babcock. Get your dose of ever-changing technology knowledge right here on Kelly and Ramya. Up on everything that catches my eye Sipping on my latte, feeling kind of nice But what I need right now is a little device Oh yeah, I'm talking about the double tap gift guy Give me gadgets, give me bling I want everything that'll make my heart sing oh. From the latest tech to the trending fashion It's time to make my wish list happen oh, yeah, the double tap gift guy Double tap gift guy Wow Okay, well, I mean, this is the wrong show for that song. <laughs> yeah, just in case you're getting so confused. Good. Okay, so we've been wanting to play this clip for a couple of weeks now, and I uh, just kept forgetting it or putting it on the back burner or running out of time for it. But this is the clip we've been referring to you with, or with you, uh, Mike, and that is the AI-assisted production. So tell us again... Obviously, this is throwing to Double Tap because they're going to be running a two-day special, I believe, right, on uh, Top yeah. 50 Holiday Gift Guides. Yeah, but starting tomorrow, it Nice, like. nice. And you were uh, involved in creating the AI song? Yeah, so I happened on this service that we've probably talked about a time or two called Mastodon. Mm. Um, and there was a lot of these just random song AI posts going around. I don't understand what you guys are doing, but okay, let's check this out. Uh, and a few of them were well-respected audio people that I am connected with in the community. So I had to go go play with it a little bit. And uh, this is the Suno.ai, which was mentioned last week. And this allows you to give it one prompt to create that song. I told it, create me a song, a 
a uh, top 40 pop song female voice with the double tap about the double tap gift guide that's going on at doubletaponair.com and it gave me that song it produced the lyrics it produced the vocals it produced the music and it mixed it all <laughs> gave me two different versions it did that in less than two minutes you know what the crazy part is? I feel that this is the perfect use for uh, AI creative music, like uh -huh. jingles and ads and radio and TV and promos, like this kind of thing is what I would imagine AI is doing so well at, right? Not necessarily fighting with the artists on what goes on radio, but um, uh, this. Yes, yeah, this, yeah. this, this fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, like the memos and the the goofy kind of. Well, um, and and also the things. stuff that little people, little broadcasters who have to pay big money to if they were ever going to have something like this done, just don't have the money for that. Yeah. And this is something and don't to need solve. to anymore. What a solution! No, but something so like this. So, Michael, how does it? With the stuff it gathered with the simple mm -hmm. commands you gave it, um, in your mind. To fill that out, because again, I'm I can't remember it totally, obviously, from hearing it once. Um, wh where what what information would it have sussed out from other places that you saw reflected in there? Just simply saying a gift guide, blah. Like yeah, that that's it's just kind of cool that it makes that feel. And I know it's not describing what's given anything being given away or anything about mm -hmm. anyone in particular or anything like that. But boy, you know, hearing that it really gives you a good feel of almost knowing the show. Yeah, yeah, and and I really liked how it met the vibe of the show. It's it's playful, yeah. it's fun, yes. it's not something right. serious or or down tempoed. It's upbeat and let's get you excited about going to check out the double tap gift guide. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the feel it got. Um, mm -hmm. I think telling it that I wanted that pop version probably helped give that feel that I wanted. Versus if I would have put like some alternative music or hip hop or country, Blues I think it would have given something. it a totally different, yeah, a totally different yeah. feel, uh, but still the same <laughs> idea as well mm -hmm. and it knows better than us right like unless we're listening to everything all the time and paying attention and analyzing what is pop what is catchy and trendy these days for this kind of thing it is um obviously more informed okay so we'll leave it up to the double tap guys to tell us more about um the holiday gift guide but in the meantime ios 17.2 is releasing soon what's the biggest update you want to highlight in this next one Apparently soon means an hour and a half ago because I didn't realize that they're dropping it out today. Oh, yeah? Awesome. Oh, it's done. Yeah, okay. so okay. some users should have it. If it's not available on your phone, you can go to settings general and uh, software update. I imagine, Kelly, did you get an alert about it? Because I, I, I got it last week, Michael. Some users. Yeah. You, I actually got, you got it last, last week. week. Oh, my God. Yeah. 17.2? So okay. Because yeah. I was surprised. I didn't think it was there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, now you can go and change your default uh, sound on your phone in the history of the iPhone, which is huge. Um, iOS with iOS 17 did change the default sound. That is uh, the sounds you hear if an app doesn't already have a notification sound. And it's a little bit more subtle. I personally like it, but I understand how if you have more hearing loss than I do, that it might be difficult to 
suss out that sound and, and be able to hear it. So now in iOS 17, you can go to sounds and haptics and go choose the default uh, notification sound and make a modification to that and pick whatever sound you want, whether that be one of the custom sounds that you've purchased or created, or that be a sound that you uh, got in the new iOS or an old sound as well. Um, and the other thing that is huge in iOS 17.2 is the journal app is now available for all users Yay. and that's uh, native to your phone. Fantastic. Wow, so many people looking forward to that. Oh, so yeah. how well does the journal app work with um, voiceover, particularly, of course, for our, our concerns? Okay, so I'm going to give you a quick rundown of my experience with setting up the journal app because I went and reset it up today um it talks about set it talks about writing and documenting your personal life with photos places and the fact that you can lock your journal with uh your passcode or your face when you are in there you can also set up a uh reminder that says hey every day remind me at a certain time that it's time to journal ah. and then you hit the continue button uh once you do that it takes you to a screen that says uh, create your personal journal and a compose button. And that is the interface. It is uh, a, a list of what will be journal entries in a moment. But right now, um, if it's the first time you open it, it says create your personal journal. Uh, and then it has that compose button at the bottom of the screen. If you two finger double tap anywhere in the journal, I thought this was really interesting. That activates the compose button, mm. which means that if you're reading through and you're like, hey, I want to I want to document this. All you have to do is two finger double tap. That will then activate that. It pops up a menu and asks you, th gives you three prompts if that's what you want to set up. Uh, one of the item was a reflection. Uh, Record an audio to future you about this time in your current life. And uh, I'm like, well, that's an interesting mm, that's reflection. Too. Yes, that's yeah. really cool. It is. And then you don't have to think about it because how many times no. have we jumped into a journal and like, I don't know what to write here. Yeah. Um, when you when you pick one of those choices, you then have a standard edit field where you can type in, which is fine. But there's also a toolbar that's available above the keyboard that allows you to add things such as images or audio recording. You can also add the location of where you're making that journal entry at. And then when you are viewing your list of journal entries, Mine gave me the prompt that I used, which was the create yourself an audio recording. I didn't put any text there, but I did put a audio post and I did attach the location of where I was. So it read that prompt to me and then it said two items and I could double tap on that and I could go in and listen to the audio recording or observe the location that I was at. Um, and then I could also delete or bookmark that specific entry by flicking down with one finger. So the location isn't a default, Michael, like you have to I, add it in. I believe you can actually um, make it a default, but, okay. but 
by default, though, that sounds a little weird. It is not. You add it in. I see. It also yeah. looks like um, hmm. if you let journal keep your location, because all this is kept on your device, um, it looks like you might be able to go in and say, oh, I went to, you know, AMI headquarters today. Uh, why don't I attach a journal entry to that location? Kind right. of like how right, day right. one yep. handles it. too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Huh. Yeah, oh, we're going to be doing some deep comparisons between day one and journal coming very <laughs> soon. I can tell. Uh, but in the meantime, a new follow-up mode for Siri is also available now on iOS 17.2. Can you share the uh, navigation tips that you have for us? Yeah, so since iOS 17, uh, I host a call on Tuesdays called Unmute Presents where we get a lot of um, in-person questions. And one of the biggest questions we've gotten is, Siri never finishes herself or herself after the update uh, because it's always interrupted because it hears things. And there's yep. a new feature called mm -hmm. follow-up mode, which right. unfortunately you can't turn it off. However, uh -oh. David Goldfield made a comment one day on one of our calls uh, that kind of blew my mind. He said, all you have to do is be nice to Siri. Tell her thank you or uh, tell her you're done. And you know what? It'll stop listening oh, if smart. you conclude the conversation. <laughs> that wow. is really smart. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> that is really cool. Uh, one is quickly, sir. You upgraded to Mac OS for I always screw this up whenever I say OS. Like, Cisco <laughs> always does me. Why did you downgrade in the original? Okay, so I'll make this super quick because I actually didn't get to upgrade. I meant to over oh. the weekend. I downgraded <laughs> because I had to reset my computer, though. And the biggest reason that I wanted to upgrade is because uh, there's a new feature, and some Mac users might know this. If you paste a link in an email address, Mac OS says, oh, you want a picture and a preview of this and puts in the preview and not the actual URL into your message. Mm -hmm. And in Mac OS Sonoma, there's a checkbox in the mail preferences that you can disable that functionality so when you paste it in it's actually a link on its own line uh, also it gives me the ability to um uh, select more than 200 emails currently if you use shift and down arrow and you hit your 199th email uh holding shift and down arrow will then just start counting up from there instead of reading who it's from in the subject I know I probably get too many emails, but last time I was on Sonoma, <laughs> they fixed that bug. So now you can select more than 200 emails at once. Oh, very nice. All right. We didn't get the to-do list or some other accessibility improvements on macOS, but we will get to all that and more next time, Michael. And Pixel Talk going into the new year. Just throw that hint out there. Good. Have yeah. a good show. Getting all the Android and Google people mad. Oh, man. <laughs> Michael Babcock joins us on Mondays for our weekly Tech Talk. And we'll stop for a couple of moments, take a breath, and return with Grant Hardy. Question, folks, why do traumatic memories affect the brain so much more than positive memories do? As I said, he'll be here shortly to fill us in and have a discussion with us about it. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. power of suggestion. It is a mighty thing. Right now, my right shoulder with this fire is off to my right. Cozy, warm, but I feel the heat. Is that just mere suggestion or because off to my left, off camera, I have a fan running and it's cold? Oh. 
I was going to say careful because I don't know if it's an internal or an external suggestion, but yeah. Yeah, I might even think, hey, uh, this fire, how come it's getting warm? I have to, oh, there's a problem here. Yeah. Um, if people say certain things to you, does it <laughs> kind of like make you feel whether it's sick or if somebody says something, do you suddenly start thinking you smell whatever they might have mentioned or whatever? Is oh, there yeah. anything that Absolutely. particularly affects you that way? Absolutely. I started Especially that. Especially um... cold cold or just you know movies or tv shows there's a word for this it escapes me but it's like yeah basically somebody says something and you start thinking hey there's more of this around now it's just awareness mm. Mm. I'm like a particular a car model or something right? and all of a sudden right. uh, that is then appearing all, all over the place yeah, yeah 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 exactly yeah yeah yeah, it's kind of interesting because it's true. You'll think, or like they used to say, somebody buy a car, a certain color car, yep. and then they'd look around like, hey, man, everybody's I thought this got car was this rare. Everybody's got one. Why the heck right, did I yeah. do that? Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I thought this was a rare model. That's what they told me when they sold it to me. That's why they charged <laughs> me so much. Folks, let's talk headlines. Let's bring Grant Hardy in. Hey, I'm Grant Hardy, and welcome to the Headlines segment. I tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility and tech. I have it all right here on Kelly and Ramia. So should I ask you the loaded question, Grant, that you know I'm thinking of asking? Are you a person who's easy to that kind of suggestion? If someone says, oh, man, it's cold in here, do you start, oh, why don't you mention it? Oh, I I wish. I find that I often have very opposite temperature <laughs> readings from other people <laughs> in the world. So they'll be like, oh, it's so cold in here. And we're like, oh, I'm boiling. I was just about to ask if we could turn down the heat and uh, vice versa <laughs> as well. So uh, that would be that would be interesting to study. Like, why do we obviously we're a little different physiologically, the way we're all built, but why do we have such different temperature readings like we should be able to match it up kind of with the other people in the room that would be very useful mm. yeah well you think about how much temperature we consider comfortable because we're always complaining about weather and what is each of us or is are generally for human beings we know that if you had to live in without air conditioning and some really high heat it, some places in the world have you, you wouldn't survive, really. And as we talk oh, about yeah. the world warming, but the same thing goes for cold. Where, what is yep. for each of yep. us that, oh, I find this the most comfortable temperature, whether it's 22 degrees Celsius, 26 degrees Celsius. And, and then when I say that, just to live in, to be in, that you don't even notice, like, oh, it's hot. Oh, it is a, mm. a touch chilly in here. It's a very small yeah. window, really, when you think about it. Yeah. Um, I, I love there, I love that I just said I, we should be able to match up our temperatures. <laughs> yeah, you're like, hmm. Well, I guess the world isn't really built just for your convenience, Grant. It's more about <laughs> people our, watching our on TV saying, "Well, Grant, yeah, like you know, we'll, we'll all move so, to the Hardy cool. temperature instead of the Calvin scale to be the Hardy temperature." Can <laughs> be a lot of debate. That's for sure. Oh exactly. man. Um. Just. Really quick content warning about talking about PTSD and some uh, traumatic uh, memories here on the show today. Uh, there was a paper published in the journal Nature Neuroscience that answered a question that people have had for a long time, which is why are traumatic memories different from other memories? They're different from positive memories and different from uh, just sad or negative, quote-unquote, memories, in that people don't so much remember traumatic memories like violence, war, 
assault, sexual assault, fires, they more relive those memories. But we haven't really had a lot of um, empirical data for why. So a team conducted a, a brain scans of 28 people with PTSD while they listened to recorded narrations of their own memories. Uh, some of the recorded memories were neutral, some were simply sad, and some were traumatic. And the brain scans found clear differences uh, with the uh, researchers reporting that uh, memories that were just sad showed high engagement of the hippocampus, part of the brain that organizes and contextualizes memories. Uh, but when the same people listened to traumatic memories of assaults, fires, school shootings, and terrorist attacks, the hippocampus was not involved, uh, and a uh, different uh, area of the brain, which, of course, I've just lost the name. I'm trying to find that. Uh, was used instead, and that makes the memories... Um, more, oh yes, I have it, the posterior cingulate cortex, or PCC, which is usually involved in internally directed thought, like introspection or daydreaming. Mm. So yep. that is that is why those memories seem to be uh, not only relived, but also why people, sensory stimulation, like just hearing fireworks or whatever can really trigger someone. Uh, and so basically what they say is, that this is a really seminal moment in terms of therapies for PTSD, because what you can do, there's been this long debate about like exposure, exposure therapy. Should you expose people to relive their traumatic memories in therapy? And what they found uh, is that you can actually help people organize their memories into sort of a story uh, so that instead of just remembering those little traumatic bits, you can actually kind of right. relive the, a whole narration of a memory as more of a past experience, and that puts it back mm -hmm. into the hippocampus. Thoughts? Which I guess is where people who experience what we would consider a trauma, firemen rushing into a building that, you know, and things that are going on, it would take more for that imprint. They would have that on their memory for it to leave the imprint, such as the ceiling coming down on them and pain and whatever, if something unfortunate happened, because you have that life experience, it's a different thing to you as opposed to when we first, uh, you know, lose somebody, somebody passes mm -hmm. away, a parent or what have you. But, you know, as you get older in life, you've experienced that enough. It's almost like getting that reinforcement that you lose a parent, you lose maybe a sibling. You As you get older, if you, you know, live long enough, um, I wonder if that's some of that kind of yeah reliving in a different way and again obviously every incident some people if you have a ceiling come down on you you may have more or less pain you may you know yeah. already have other fears um even if you're a fireman one of your biggest fears you fight every day going to your job might be getting caught in a closet in a build burning building something that we might right. say why well, a closet i just don't want to be caught in a burning building but it's different yeah. from our perspective exactly uh so for example this is a tiny gr bit graphic but hopefully not too much, but there was a, there's an army medic who was haunted by just a, a not only a, tra uh, tra a traumatic memory, but a fragmented memory mm. of uh, frantically trying to uh, bandage somebody, uh, a, a soldier's wound while under 
uh, fire. And so in therapy, they tried to help him build a story which uh, was a coherent memory of not only him doing that, but also another person who lay nearby, uh, some of the background sounds, uh, a little mistake he made using too many bandages, just like this whole narration of what was happening in the background. Like it sounds almost like it would be worse, but apparently like that can be actually less, uh, like your brain is reliving it, I guess, if you have the full story instead of just this momentary Exactly. Fragment. Yeah, and part of it can be that um, regret or resentment side of things, right? Like, you know how we talk about survivor's guilt and all these other things where there are parts of you that feel guilt or shame or, um, you know, other feelings that would make it more of a present experience because you're not necessarily compartmentalizing and putting these things as a past experience. You're thinking, well, what if... I could have done this or could have done that or this was different than the actual reality of it. I also think, um, Grant, you know, how this plays into not necessarily one-time occurrences or physical experiences, but things like generational trauma. When we're talking about um, communities of people Mm -hmm. and coming to terms with things that we may not have experienced firsthand but our parents or our parents parents like generationally have experienced uh, because that's becoming more prevalent in our discussions nowadays as well as it should exactly yeah and it's it's i guess it's just literally learning to live with and deal with the imperfect you know brains that we were born with because I and complex and complex exactly because I think so many people have who haven't experienced trauma and you know to be honest like I haven't experienced right a lot but we'll say you know I don't understand you know I don't understand why people can't just like move on from things or, or get get over things and you know like why dwell on the past you know et cetera, et cetera. but I I think it's just a a reminder of i guess in a way like people who haven't experienced highly traumatic things and like you said community trauma almost don't just don't know how the brain processes those memories and you might be able to get over it because your brain just doesn't associate it with that constantly Mm. constantly reliving yeah, I, I also I wonder about even dreaming, right? When we dream about something that kind of scares us, rats in my case, I have the thing about rats. And all of a sudden in the dream, you know, a, a rat is there. And I'm, ah, you know, because it's something I haven't experienced. I don't really know how I would react. I don't really understand my, my fear other than what I've seen on TV and growing up as a kid, whatever it might be. But we we tend to go in those dreams. And again, I know a dream can follow a story as you're talking about, Grant. But a lot of time dreams end up with, oh, boy, I think I'll get a soda. Oh, it's a 10-foot rat. Help! Right? All of a sudden it's there. It came in to get a soda as well. And it's chasing me. Right? So... Uh, it's very interesting that futuristically too, we can give ourselves those things because of our fears. Because of and and I guess that's what even in a horrifying, scary experience like you describe him, you know, uh, being under fire and taking care of of somebody. Else, what were the things there that flash back to him constantly? Probably also are based in some of our biggest fears or the fears that he's probably experienced every day. That oh man, I don't want to be under fire and have to be stuck. I don't want to run out and be a coward and leave someone behind. 
I can't leave a friend behind, yeah. whatever it might be. It's interesting. And I know we are going to move on shortly to this other thing you have, uh, Grant, but I also wanted to say, like, there is a spectrum for trauma, right? And this is, you know, granted, like you mentioned, Kels, your uh, fear of rats and all this other stuff. Also, people and past relationships um, coming in with traumatic experiences, it doesn't necessarily have to be this, like, very intense physical oh. trauma or PTSD as we know it, but uh, just trauma in general and the, the things that we carry on into like our future and present. <laughs> yeah, no, for but, yeah. For sure. It's like, I guess, acknowledging that like PTSD is, you know, just a very individual thing. I feel like this maybe does a couple things. Like for, you know, for for therapists, psychologists, etc., like hopefully this sort of opens the the door to to help people through their trauma, and definitely you know for for lay people like me, not that I think I've ever been dismissive of someone's trauma, hopefully, mm. but just you know a reminder that like again, you know if you've if you've never experienced this kind of thing before you can't just expect somebody to, you know, oh, dismiss this, just move on from this, you know, don't dwell on this when when in reality, you don't know, you don't understand what is going on inside someone's brain. And right. for, I feel like the world would be a better place if we couldn't read minds, but we could understand a little more about this. We could empathize. Maybe not read yeah. the minds, but empathize. Thank you, Pa. Thank you, guys. Grant Hardy, our reporter in Vancouver. Well, BC, I think, is easier to say because then I'll always screw up exactly where. Anyway, folks, a uh, real interesting topic makes you really think about things. And, of course, as, as you said before, Ramya, complex because the mind is so complex. We talk headlines with Grant on Mondays and Wednesdays right here on the program. Up next, Mind Your Own Business returns Wednesday, January 3rd to AMI-TV. You'll also be able to find it uh, on uh, AMI+, Plus, of course. We're going to be speaking to Kelly Bon Johnson, who is on the program in the role of mentor this season. Stand by. We'll get into that after this. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-TV. back as we continue through hour one of our program. Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald, hosts of the show. It's Kelly and Ramya, your weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Over on AMI-audio, check us out at 4 p.m. Eastern time. If you miss the show on either account, check us out at 10 p.m. Eastern on both networks where you can find the repeated show. Of course, you can always subscribe to the Kelly and Ramya podcast at your leisure. And when you get a chance, give us a rating and review. Fantastic to those who have. We really appreciate it. Uh, some very kind words said there about the program. As mentioned, I'm at the home studio in London, Ontario, Ramya Muth, and over there at the studio in Toronto. Let's get to know some AMI content as we usually carve out some time on Mondays to do this. And today we're talking about Mind Your Own Business, an AMI original uh, TV show that you can find on AMI-TV as well as AMI Plus and your app on iOS and Android. So Mind Your Own Business is returning Wednesday, January 3rd at 9 p.m. Eastern on AMI-TV, and we're speaking with one of the mentors on this upcoming season, Kelly Braun Johnson, about her role on the season and on being a mentor. Kelly, nice to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. 
So tell us a little bit about yourself. We'll get into the show and your uh, role on there in a second, but you are a, an advocate and you do a lot of work. So can you give us some background on that? Right. So I'm an autistic and hard of hearing self-advocate. Um, I sometimes I call myself a serial entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> I'm currently uh, a business advisor on my second business now um, where I work as uh, an idea consultant. So inclusion, diversity, equity and accessibility um, and that kind of aspect, it's social enterprise, you know, that aspect of giving back was why I wanted to be a mentor on the Mind Your Own Business show. Wow. I think it's so exciting when you know you have something to offer to help others. And it, it, so many things can go in so many different directions, I'm, I'm sure. And we'll, we'll get into that with you a little bit. You want to say a little bit more about your own company and, and the work that you do and just any little notes or anything that um, I think folks should should know about? I'm sure. So... Uh, I have a uh, background in restorative justice as well as psychological health and safety in the workplace. And so I kind of took those two and melded them together. And then using my own experiences in the workplace, um, I created a restorative justice framework where that I apply to, to businesses when I'm working with them, um, working on their long-term strategy in terms of inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. Um, I put a huge focus on that psychological health and safety on neurodiversity, um, of course, using my own experience as an autistic person. Um, and I hope that the methods that I use are a way that can really touch on uh, inclusion in terms of an inter intersectional approach, but really about bringing people in, creating cultures that are safe uh, and truly inclusive for everyone, because disability is something that touches everyone. And so when we kind of use that uh, as our means of entry, we're including just by default, just by humankind, right? We're including uh, all races, all religions, all mm -hmm. classes of people. Um, and so that's kind of the approach that I'm taking. So when you get opportunities to go and work with companies, people who want to kind of do what we'd say the right thing, we know also there's legislation out there. What are, what do you find the, the motivation um, for them, whether it's because, well, I know I have to be more compliant. I think we all want to believe that people have hear more about it. No, it's not this big giant thing anymore. They know it. the spectrum that you spoke of doesn't just include, well, we need a few wheelchair ramps or access for a person who's blind so their cane doesn't get wedged in the floor or whatever it might be um, with, the, with the dangers moving around. There's so many pieces to this, but the willingness, the excitement that they get when you come and talk to them, let them know, hey, man, guys, this is... This is not huge. It's a lot of empathy. It's a few things. And let's walk through it. Um, how have you seen that change? So, yeah, I kind of, you, you really summed it up in the sense that I really believe a lot of the times I'm teaching kindness. I'm teaching people to look beyond what their uh, first impressions might be. Um, and that is really teaching people just communication. Um, and that goes, again, with the restorative justice aspect of things when we talk about um, asking questions from a place of curiosity, asking from the heart. Um, mm -hmm. And I know it sounds a little bit woo-woo, right? I, I don't want to get, it's not fluffy. Um, but these are things that really actually uh, help people get to the core of issues when we're talking about communication issues, right. when we're talking about intercultural communication. Um, leaving those stories that we make up in our head and a lot of those biases that we already have and leaving those stories behind and getting down to the truth and the core of what is really essential. 
um, and what people really actually need, you know, the real things that people need in a business place, in a workplace to feel yeah. comfortable. Mm-hmm. And we know that all this stuff is very important, but I think we also know that it can be challenging in different circumstances, or at least not all circumstances present the same way. So when you're um, mentoring, when you're guiding uh, through your business, um, what what would you say are some of these differences, like compared to... Or when you're comparing talking to CSOs versus startups and new entrepreneurs versus upper management versus very established companies, uh, do you kind of are there things that pop up for you that are like, yeah, this is definitely different than talking to A is different than talking to B about these things? So I, I think my approach is really I often say from the bottom up and from the top down, it's it's really um, it's really important that all um, all departments and all levels of a company are on board in the same way. Yeah. Everybody has, and everybody has a part to play, right? As individuals, we all have a part to play. So if people are not, um, not everybody is on board, it it's going to have less chance of success. Um, this is why I like working with the smaller companies, with other nonprofits, with uh, social enterprises, uh, because they're just a little bit more agile, a bit more flexible, a bit more able to, um, to get to make that change and they're mm. a little bit more motivated because they're already working closely with each other um it's definitely harder with if a large multinational with a right. large national companies um not that it can't be done but it takes longer and it takes a bit more work right? and sometimes you're working with unlearning rather than learning right new approaches oh there's yeah <laughs> yeah a whole lot of that and uh, trying to streamline those processes right um they've created processes um, not always for the good of everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it made sense at the time I, I, when we're talking about like trying to make the majority of people comfortable. Um, but that doesn't, like you said, it doesn't always work uh, for certain individuals and it's not always going to um, be safe or psychologically safe for certain demographics of people. Yeah. So when you joined for this season, and we know there's a lot of people out there with disabilities who've Try to find work. Maybe they have some idea of something they could do. They want to do this, a hobby, an interest that finally, after looking for work, and we, we've had this talk with Kevin, we've had him on the show, and the idea that, you know what, people push me to take my idea and do something with it. And we're looking for a lot of that support. What do you bring to the table for this season? What was when approached, if you want to walk us through that, that you felt, hey, yeah, I can do that. I, I mean, I'm sure when it sprung at you, you think, okay, I can bring this. I can bring. But what did you feel as things progressed that you wanted to bring, did bring, and where you felt your niche was with the show? So I think what I the what I thought I had to offer going into this, um, and you know what we were talking about in terms of just being able to um, share skills and talents with the other yeah. entrepreneurs, the other mentors. Right. Um, was I was bringing some of it was not just my business experience, but my 10 years of experience that I had when I was working in digital marketing. Okay. Um, and so, yes, I did bring that to some of the, some of the entrepreneurs on the show. Um, but what I think actually ended up happening more of was some of the basic, uh, business or the basic entrepreneurial issues that we go through. Um, plus kind of thinking outside the box. So, a lot of these entrepreneurs had amazing ideas, right? They're they're already thriving, and it was sometimes just bringing in a little bit of something. I think with the way that I think, that 
hey, did you think of this? You know, maybe this could be an idea. So I think I actually gave a lot of interesting business ideas that they might not have thought of before. And and like you said, it's also about building that confidence. We need to build the capacity for people to be able to feel confident that they have the tools um, that they need to move forward. And sometimes validating that and just saying, hey, you know, you, you can do this or I've done this. So since right. I've done it, here's how I did it. And this might help you on your path. I think that's the biggest, like for me, just thinking about why it would be fantastic to have, um, first of all, you know, someone who identifies as disabled as a mentor is just that in itself. It's so huge to have um, people who their self-advocacy is one of the biggest kind of momentum pushing forward for entrepreneurship and otherwise uh, to kind of go through some of these crossroads that these newer entrepreneurs are going through on the show, right? Um, Was there a lot of learning for you being on the show? I thought it was so interesting just to see how other people had done um, the the work that they did, the ideas that they came up with, the way that they structured their work. Um, I, I think there was a lot of, to me, it's just a kind of mutual understanding, I think, of how entrepreneurs function. Mm. Um, I learned a lot from the other mentors on the show as well. When you hear their perspectives, when we're talking about the same, the ca- same case, the same uh, business, um, and having I think having their perspective in terms of what stuck out for them uh, was was super interesting. And it, it, to me, it was it was a great environment. It was a very encouraging environment. Um, I haven't seen the results myself, so I'm actually looking forward to watching the show so nice. I can see uh, the development of everyone. So. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. I, I'm sure you're going to find it so fascinating. But I, I want to just talk about the mentors. Um, we all say, hey, it's, it's great to have some mentors and obviously some... And at different points in our life, when we need a mentor, um, do different things, act in different roles, and some stick with us forever. But when you talk a program like this or people going into business in this capacity as entrepreneurs, um, when you are a mentor to someone or looking for that, what should, what, what is your advice? What should, should someone look for? What makes that good mentor, especially in these kind of cases? So I've had I've had some amazing mentors um, going through my own career, um, and some of them. I mean, my first one I kind of picked just by I liked their business, and I emailed them and I asked if they would mentor me. Um, and nice. I'm not, that's not necessarily the best way to go about things. <laughs> it, it worked out. It did work out. I mean, I got one rejection from one, and I ended up getting one, and and that was a relationship that lasted. Actually, we're still friends to this day. Um, but it, I think now I'm a bit more choosy in terms of who I'm uh, when I'm looking for support. Um, I also kind of believe in having a mentor who is at least 10 years older than I am and one who is at least 10 years younger than I am. Um, yeah, people people are like, well, that's interesting. For me, it keeps me in touch with I, I, you know, 10 years younger is not really, you know, the next generation. It's not that far, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still some differences in the way that they perceive things. When when they're yeah. looking at marketing or they're looking at the business, the kind of things that they're looking for. Um, so I think it's important that I stay in touch with the youth um, and that I also benefit from the wisdom of of my elders. I don't want to say elders necessarily, but make people think that's very old. Um, but like that idea of like, roughly 10 years older and roughly 10 years younger, um, if that's possible. Sometimes it's hard to find any mentorship, right? It's it's not always yeah, easy sure. to find. Um, but sometimes people surprise you. Like, I really believe in 
the people that you meet, you don't always, um, you might not formalize it and call it mentorship until you realize after a bit of time that there actually are mentoring you. They have taken you under their wing. Um, they're a person that you trust, uh, who has your best interest. And, um, and sometimes it just kind of comes out of the blue naturally. So, um, but, you know, I, I do kind of try to put some, um, some importance in some of the qualities that I'm looking for. Right. I think, um, for me, culturally relevant is important as well. Um, especially when I, I have a counselor. So I, I now have a black woman counselor, uh, and that has made, um, the difference, a great difference for me in terms of, of my progress, my personal mm -hmm. progress. Um, so it's very important. I find representation matters. If I could find a black, disabled, non-binary person, <laughs> it would be like, okay, I've got, <laughs> I've got everything I need. Right. Yeah, um, it doesn't have awesome. to be that specific, but I'm just saying like, it, it, it does help when you have somebody who's been down the same kind of path. Absolutely. Fantastic. And to keep your ear on the ground, as you've been saying, Kelly, thank you so much for your time. We got to let you go, but all the best. Thank you so much. And looking forward to you on Mind Your Own Business. We mm -hmm. were speaking with founder of Completely Inclusive, Kelly Braun Johnson. Mind Your Own Business Season 3 returns Wednesday, January 3rd. So uh, that's 9 p.m. Eastern on AMI-TV, but check it out on AMI Plus as well. Another hour of our program and coming up on Know Your Rights, Danielle McLaughlin speaks with the Honorable Frances Kitely about a project that involves Afghan women becoming who are judges now living here in Canada. Plus, Beth Deere joins us for a guide dog and service animal report. But up next, there's a free concert series in Vancouver's most beautiful and inclusive downtown church. Community reporter Carol Yapo will be here in a moment with all the details. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Ah, you're back with us here. I'm sitting on uh, my uh, set, as I want to call it, but I don't think technically, Ramya, you can call it a set. Virtual but my set. my background, virtual set, thank you. Okay. Uh, I mean, or half virtual. Anyway, folks, fireplace off to my right, roaring away there, keeping me warm. Off to the left, a little bit of snow out that window, though, and a Christmas tree. That means we're getting you into the Christmas feel. So I mentioned at the top of the show, for me, it's this time of the year where I feel most Christmassy. Um, it's the music. It's the feel, knowing people are going this out. This time of the year, meaning mid-December? storytelling. Yeah, probably maybe around starting around the 4th or the 5th. All right. And right through to the 24th. Then I'm done. And then you're right before Christmas, you're out. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm done. I'm fine. You know, okay, hey, oh, you know, Christmas, oh, wow. happy Christmas, okay. whatever. Uh, that's great and all. But it's more of the feel of it. The shows, that the kind of thing. Up. And I'm not, I'm not going to watch all the movies. Sorry, I'm not going to do that every day. But it's just in the air. Right? Of course it is. Like the smell Bridget. of pine from Christmas trees, the cold in the air, the crunch, crunch, crunch. And then Rumya wants it all rolled up after Christmas. Get rid of this snow and this cold. Mostly the uh, cold. You can keep yeah. the snow a bit, but get rid of the cold. But not the Christmas tree, though. That'll stay for another three weeks because I'm way too lazy to take it down right away. All that hard work for just a week and a half. Got to learn a little more about Vancouver Christmases. Mm. You know, the that the, the, they don't have quite the cold, but you'd have to get used to the dark, the gloominess, at least the snow when you got it. It's bright enough to make it a little more lively. Uh, we welcome in to talk a little bit about that and more and give an opinion. Carol Yapel, who brings us news from Vancouver. What's going on, Carol? How are you? 
I'm very well, thanks. And I can tell we are on the same wavelength here because it's Christmas on my mind too and the holidays in general. And Kelly, you are absolutely correct that we get very dark out here at this time of year. Mm. So I sort of decided, okay, what am I going to do about that? And what do I have to offer today for people? And there are lights downtown. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, for me, going downtown, and that meant Chicago for me at the time, oh. was the most fun thing on Christmas to do ever. Go see Santa, see lights, hear music, all those things. So, you know, with vision loss, it's not that easy to get out and in the winter, and especially when it's dark. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try to find things downtown that are free, accessible, and light. So that was wow. my criteria. And I found a couple of really wonderful things. Yeah. So the first so Carol, one I want to... Carol, I remember the days when we had our Christmas parade in the morning and the Christmas just seemed to unwrap right after that. You walk into any mall, Santa was there, everything like that. And then they started yeah. moving it tonight because it's so bright and all the lights and everything like that. So I kind of straddle the fence where I believe it totally should be an earlier in the day thing so families could go out and really enjoy what felt like the launching of, of Christmas. So anyway, um, one of the things that does always feel like Christmas, your first item is music. That's right. Music is in my background and I love Christmas music, not all, but a lot of it. So what I found downtown at the St. Andrews Wesley Church is something called Jazz Vespers. And believe it or not, this has been going on for 30 years, every Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. But of course, at Christmas time, things have a Christmas flavor. So this is a church that you may know. It's right next to St. Paul's Hospital. It is a very beautiful church. It has the most stained glass windows, so it's very light. And it also um, is known to be a very welcoming community for LGBTQ and, and lots of other uh, groups. So you go there, they hand you a cup of tea. I mean, a ceramic cup, a real cup of tea. Mm. And they have jazz from four to five every Sunday afternoon. I heard a quartet, mm. a pianist and, and his uh, bass, drums and guitar. And his wife was a singer and a tap dancer. It was absolutely fantastic and such a beautiful atmosphere to be in. And light. So filled with light, filled with music, free. And also the number two bus stops outside the door of the church so it's one of those places where you can easily get to and enjoy on christmas eve it's a sunday but it's going to be at 3 p.m and that show is called we three queens and it's three jazz divas who are going to present um music that day so nice. Yeah. And we're going to continue on with music, Carol, because, I mean, it's just the best way to celebrate and to get festive around this time anyway, and we don't have to just hear the music at the malls. So tell us about Liven Up, which is a, in, at Cool Harbor in Vancouver. Yeah. So this is brand new this year, and it's every Friday and Saturday between 5 and 10 p.m. It's also free. And this is along the seawall, which is one of Vancouver's most beautiful areas. And what they've done is they've put up all these light sculptures. Oh, So again, accessibility was on my mind. The whole area is much better lit than it ever has been. And you can go, you know, in the afternoon and wait for the sun to go down. 
but the music really gets going around five or six o'clock. There's a giant polar bear. The the light sculptures are a polar bear, and there's a an oh. orca, and there's a squirrel. There's the squirrel. Whoa! And a blue heron. Nice. Yeah, and so you can see. And the other thing is, there is I never even knew this. There is an elevator from Canada Place, which is near our convention center. And you take that elevator down four floors and you are on the seawall. So the seawall turns out to be one of the most accessible places to walk with your cane, which I did, mm. because it's wide and it's flat and you have Christmas carolers and there's a music tent. And I had a hot toddy, uh, which was very <laughs> nice on a cool mm. evening and heard a wonderful big band of, of students. So another really kind of Christmassy, but, you know, free, accessible, and and full of light. How wow. big what? is the space or how widespread out are people um, when you're kind of moving around and exploring, Carol? I mean, I'm not looking for exact measurements, but does it feel like a lot of area for you to hang out in? Uh, yeah, so the seawall is a path that I'm going to say is probably about 15 feet wide. Mm-hmm. And it spans, this is from Canada Place to Cardero Street. I'm going to say that's a couple of kilometers. Yeah. So wow. this is a neighborhood. It yeah, there's a neighborhood okay. where people live. But, you know, um, it, it's it's not difficult. It's not so crowded, for instance, that you, you can't make your way. Wow. Okay. I love that with with especially as you walk along and people singing in performances or discuss like just that, that what a place to walk enjoy yourself yeah. I guess there are those times the cold coming off the water might get you a little bit but what a way to utilize something that has to be there that has a purpose and make sure that not only is it a, a protection whether it's water sound what have you that that uh, protecting on the other side but where people can actually go and play have fun walk enjoy and be entertained carol um you want to move on to to vancouver digital writers fest fascinating well i always try to include an online thing too so this is a good stocking stuffer for people it's valued at a hundred dollars but you can get it for ten dollars because it's a pay-as-you-go thing and what it is is uh, 25 recordings of the Vancouver Writers Festival, which went on in October, but they package it as an online on-demand thing. And there are 25 writers and different panels, everything from uh, Seasons of the Witch to a uh, thing oh, about wow. novels. And one that I actually attended live in October called uh, It's Not Too Late which is about climate and features mm. Vancouver's own John Valiant, who has written an award-winning book called Fire Weather about, you know, the forest fires here and, and elsewhere in Canada. Anyway, uh, you can get this Vancouver Digital Writers Fest for $10. The link is, I believe, included on the notes here. And you can listen from December 15th to January 31st. So if you don't want to go out, you can sit home and, and listen to some good, writers. I know, Ramya, wow. you're a big book lover, and I think mm. there's something here for everybody. Wow. I love the idea of the writer. I mean, 
you know, I know a lot of my theater people do writers groups because you're working yes. with people to get better. You're trying stuff out. You show your stuff like we talked to the comics about going to a comedy club and trying out new material. And so oh, that, that landed flatter than a pancake. Can't use that one or need to tweak it still. And I know that's the wonderful thing about having writers groups of any kind and especially for digital you know, we have an era where everyone can be included and if someone has issues getting out or can't or isn't comfortable, they don't have to be excluded either. And Carol, when you see stuff like this available for us to be entertained as an audience, um, you know, Joe Public, wow, what an opportunity and what a time of year for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's really, really cool. Okay, Carol, so what else for you guys? Chicago. I did not know you were from there. What um, what does Christmas look like going forward? I, I was going on about how I love this time, as we mentioned at the top, um, for me, the favorite, the buildup, and you just gave a whole bunch of reasons why. Well, I, I think Christmas in Vancouver, it doesn't have the snow usually. Last year we did, but I don't think it's predicted for this year. So it differs from elsewhere in Canada, but I think you know, we do have a really strong choral tradition here. So a lot of the churches are full of, I mean, speaking of free events, there's lots of uh, choirs that are singing. And um, personally, I'm into the lights. Mm. I'm putting up all the lights. The My husband put the lights outside over the weekend. And now I'm working on, you know, the lights inside. Awesome. Is your neighborhood uh, oh. big on lights and, and decorating, Carol? I live near City Hall, so I would say it may be not the most. Um, but if you drive around town, there's a big community of people in various neighborhoods yeah. who put on amazing displays. And downtown yeah. is one of the better places. So it's another reason to go downtown this Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, and there's you don't so have many to spend places. money. <laughs> Just That's walk it. around. And you got the city doing it, putting up so many wonderful things. It's, it's lovely great. walking around. Oh. Yeah, Carol, thanks a lot. Thank you, and happy holidays to you both, you and too. to we'll all talk, of our listeners. We'll talk to you in the new year. Thank you. Okie doke. Carol Yapel is our community reporter in Vancouver, British Columbia. So many cool things. If you missed any of it, check out one of our repeats of the program, or certainly check in on our podcast, please. Up next, folks, Beth Deer is going to return to the program. We're going to have a guide dog and service animal report from her in two minutes. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Thanks for being with us weekdays. We're here from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. On the weekend on AMI-tv, you can check out the best of Kelly and Ramya. AMI-audio, you can find us at 4 p.m. That's the first uh, edition of our program, and then, of course, repeated on AMI-audio. Wherever you're listening in around the world via AMI-audio, maybe through TuneIn, OOTunes, or, or, or off of uh, AMI+. Plus. Glad to have you around. Thank you. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. And, you know, usually on this Monday of the month, we check in with our friend Devin Wilkins for our Guide Dog and Service Animal Report, but we're switching things around. And Beth Deer is joining us for this, and she's got lots of personal experience. But we are going to get into some things that are actually going on uh, outside of our own experiences too, Beth. But how's it going? 
It's going good. And as you guys know, for sure, I could talk guide dogs, service dogs, even pet dogs, like nonstop. <laughs> and it's cats. actually an obsession. And other and cats, things. And, and babies. babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the yeah, list I've goes on. It. I've got it all. Kelly's like, thank goodness we cats. only have 15 minutes. Yeah, well, I don't hear a lot about no, cats. We do on our pre-show meetings, maybe. No, you're right. I don't think yeah. any of us no, have we, cats. You, all talk, you talk all the dogs, No, Jeff right? has cats. I have cats. Oh, he does. I have cats, too. Oh, do you? I didn't know you I had know cats. Either. All these dogs take the main show. And babies. They do, and the babies. Well, I understand yeah, babies. The babies, for yeah. sure. I understand yeah. that. Okay. Sorry, George. That's my cat. Oh. <laughs> so where do you want to start? You want to start with personal experience? Because oh, we both yeah, share this I one. Think, yeah, I think we should. So last week we had our AMI Christmas party. And, um, you know, we all had some drinks. It was a really fun afternoon. Um, some of us went out for dinner afterwards. Um, and, yeah, I kind of went and had a nightcap at the hotel that a few of us were staying at. And Ramia actually it was booking an Uber to go home and me and my I white cane. Take, yeah. And I needed to take Patronus outside to go to the toilet before we went um back to our room. So I said There's to her a toilet that I would out there for dogs. Wait with her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, Kelly. Mark, you know huh. how this works. Mark, Don't be yeah, silly. I do. Come on. I heard the hotel people <laughs> saying, you know, I've heard them saying, Come on. <laughs> yeah. Watch, but please. <laughs> We got outside as Ramia's Uber was pulling up, and that's exactly what they did. They didn't stop pulling up, and they just kept driving, and they drove away. Yeah. Followed the drive-by. <laughs> because by. they saw me and Petrona stood with her. We obviously weren't even going to get in there, but silly Uberman didn't know that. Guilt and, by association. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. And what's the Uber? Because obviously they give you the uh, license, license plate. License plate, yeah. And yeah, they did say that it was the Uber. So I mean, I don't, I don't love these situations. Obviously, it sucks. Poor Rami had to wait outside in the cold for even longer to wait for the next and Uber. Bertha, Popo. Yeah. So, so did this? Did this guy stop to? Uh, he like he reached down. out. Like you knew. Oh, it was that, the typical. Uh, right? you, you were suspicious, right? That he yeah. went by. But yes, did you not? Yes. You Beth, you asked her something about the, a decline, or or what was the text that you got? After he decided, we're not picking you up. So, like, literally, I like Rum just like looked at her phone, and it just said like the Uber was cancelled mm -hmm. because that's mm -hmm. what they do. Mm -hmm. They they're yep. able to cancel it from their end at any time. And I've had this in the past too, where it's been very cold in stupid old Edmonton, where it's been like minus thirty for weeks on end, which I hate. But anyway, like there was a time where. You know, my husband wasn't able to take me into the office when we still had an office here in Edmonton. And same thing, poor Patronus and me are stood outside and the car pulls up and they continue to pull away mm -hmm. and cancel the Uber because they don't want a dog in their car. And mm. it was really interesting because the last time I had a meeting with um, one of the guide dog trainers from the school I got Patronus from, she actually gave me a number that Uber has started for <laughs> service dog denials. Beth practically had this on speed was, dial. Mm -hmm. I did. I was like, oh, as you should, we get though. Uber service dog denial. Yeah. 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 But it's sad because it's so frequent. You need to have it like well, that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Number one. But number two, 
is like it's great in the sense that as you're reacting as this is happening you can immediately call the number and make a, right. the case exactly. right you're not and, and then you can get they can say to the driver why 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 did you cancel why was mm -hmm. that canceled well and exactly. and it goes from there and and the thing that I've been actually really impressed with, so we called, I, I'll be honest, it's not just for service dogs, because at first the guy was like, oh, like, you guys are missing your food? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I'm yeah. assuming it's like connected <laughs> to Uber Eats. Yes, Uber. yes. Um, hey, cancel and he's eating my order. explained, he was actually super helpful. And I did ask, like, does anything actually happen to the drivers that deny service dogs or do they just get a slap on the wrist and, you know, they continue about their day and can continue to deny people? Um, but he did say that it, there's kind of like a system where, you know, at first they try and educate them, even though all their drivers are fully aware that they can't deny service dogs. Um, uh, so at first they educate them, and if it's something that happens more than once, then they do get suspended. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, and well, I wonder, I wonder what the reason is. Like, I wonder when mm -hmm. asked or when they, they cancel, I've got to assume there's a reason that they have to stay. Because, I mean, let's be fair. Let's say somebody's getting abused. They pull up and somebody, you took too long with it, and screaming. And there's reasons they may have to cancel the ride outside of what we're talking about. So there's got to yeah. be an area where when they, they refuse or cancel it, that they have to identify why. I wonder how... Well, that's why Straight it's all allegedly, say, right? It's more about how many complaints in this yeah, regard yeah, yeah. is being sent No, no, to I Uber. get that. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is what do they say and when that opportunity... Because some of the people... Well, what do they sure, say? I mean, I've heard well, everything well, under the no, sun. But, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. There's probably yeah. sometimes just simply say, because they have a dog, and they say, well, then you must have failed the class. Really. Right. How did you yeah. pass? Yeah, because did you take this class? That's what I would like to know. Is exactly. I'd like to know mm -hmm. how many of them honestly think they have the right to do that yeah how they're missing yeah. and that would be an uber training issue of how these oh, it's people an uber missing. accountability issue like i mean all these well, people period, with disabilities right? exactly all these people with disabilities are ordering ubers left and right all the time yeah. and yet yeah. uh you know it's not and, and it's and it's told to us that you can't deny, um, and legally as well, obviously, that you can't deny a person with this guide dog or service oh. animal. And then you have all these drivers uh, running around being like, well, Doing I'm it. allergic. Exactly. Yep. I don't want well, them and, on my leather and again, seats. My question there is if there, if this comes up in training and you say, well, I, I can't because I'm allergic, what what are we supposed to tell? Like if you were told that and you were training and you say, well, hold on, guys, so I want to be a driver here, but I have an allergy to dogs. Well, then they either tell you, sorry, you can't be a driver here. Or something. Driver. These are the steps that are getting missed somewhere. Yes, Or people course. are lying because yeah. well, they need the job. that is interesting yep. about the allergies because that's a question I've asked previously when I've gone through this because I have gone through this multiple times um if if a driver is allergic to dogs they um essentially will have to wait until you then get another uber because obviously right. there are drivers that are, are allergic to dogs sure, and they sure. have to have um like it has like uber makes them go to the doctors give medical proof mm -hmm. like I don't think they take it lightheartedly, like if you claim no. you're allergic. Yeah. And they shouldn't. You shouldn't just be able to say that. Time. Obviously not. Yeah. 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 Like, like, why would 100%. I take a job if I could drive as a person who's not, if I was, if I was truly hateful towards animals, why would I ever take mm -hmm. a job where they're in my right, car? Right. Like, why would you be so foolish? Yeah, exactly. Money. But in, you know, when you think about it, in the grand scheme of things, like, you must very rarely actually come across a dog 
Like, certainly. Think about how many people are taking Ubers. It's probably like one in one hundred that you actually have to pick up a service dog. Right. It like, in my opinion, at least, like it's probably so rare mm. that like, wouldn't it just be easier to like suck it up and just go on with it? Well, <laughs> well, and you know, in the training, they don't spend that much time on it. No. They would. They just say, "Oh, you've got to take it and move along because mm-hmm. of and the honestly, rarity." And honestly, and I hate doing this. I hate you know um, comparing or saying like prioritize this over that. But at the end of the day, it is law. It's legislation. It we That's shouldn't right. be even. That- that's right. You know, we shouldn't even be humming and hawing about the training. It's bottom line. You cannot refuse service animals, That's period. Right. And so, Uber should be afraid yeah. exactly. of that recourse. Well, clearly. And they need to understand that they're dealing with basically a freelance system where everybody and anybody can sign up to be an Uber, you know, yeah. give or take, a driver. And you need to uh, reprimand or deal with these things in a systematic form. So obviously they're yeah, they're getting well, somewhere with it. And well, this and, is just yeah, another story to add to the books. But And, but, and our system yeah. must show I that think, it's not happening. There's not enough in that sense of recourse or else it just wouldn't be exactly yeah and i think for me one of my biggest frustrations is the fact that like i am someone who is very happy to advocate and educate and like the annoying thing is they don't even stop so like it's not even like i can be like listen i am legally blind this dog provides me a service this is what the dog does for me if you are uncomfortable with the dog because you're scared of the dog, I will make sure the dog does not come near you. Mm-hmm. But this is why I have this dog. And I feel like anytime I've encountered a denial and I've been able to speak to someone and be like, this is an opportunity for you to learn about a blind person with a guide dog and so that, you know, if you come into contact with this again in the future, you know how to behave properly. And like, I am very happy. And in fact, I enjoy having those conversations with people because 99% right. of the time they come out of that conversation being like, I am so sorry that I did that to you. I didn't understand. I will show them my card that has my government stamp on it. I will, you know, explain why Patronus just isn't a regular pet dog. Yeah. And yeah, as I say, 99% of the time people apologize and yeah, that they're, 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 they're so willing. apologetic and they're happy that they learned. Exactly. But for that to but happen. That's what's so frustrating with Uber is because like there isn't that learning opportunity no. or like that, And it directly like, correlates. Like our experience mm-hmm. directly correlates with us for most of the uh, time not being able to even see the vehicle to confirm that this was an Uber. Mm-hmm. Like even that, you're that's if right. you were on your own on the street and there was no sighted person, you p- wouldn't even know what happened if your Uber yeah. head pulled up half the time. Because they're trying to keep from conflict exactly. or anything like that. But <laughs> they're just trying you don't to run away from the situation. To, to be bothered, yeah, right? Because it, it's yeah. built in to allow them. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, okay, Betsy, do you want to tell us one more thing before we... Um, yes, sure. So I do have several other stories, but I'm going to pick my favorite. It's a terrible thing. But there was a man with a service dog who was screamed at by a mother because her son wanted to pet the dog because he loves dogs. <laughs> oh my. And this poor man with PTSD and anxiety had to defend himself and, you know, oh explain to this lady why his the kid couldn't touch his dog, whilst also the dog was nudging him to be like, you need to sit down, you're about to have an anxiety oh no. attack. I know, this mm. poor, poor man. He said afterwards he went and sat down for half an hour by himself with his dog 
And it took him that long to unwind and get to a point where he was able to get back up and like move on. Um, I guess there was a husband with this mother and child and he actually came over to the man and said, I am so sorry for the way my, my wife and kid behaved. And I guess as the man was walking away with his dog, the kid started screaming bloody murder. Oh, And I've actually had this before where I've said no to a child paying Patronus and they have thrown like a full-blown tantrum. Wow. I did have the parents not understand? experienced this before. The, or the, seen did the parents else. understand that? What, that what, you know, um, like you saying no, those folks? Yeah, it was a grandma and she was kind of, oh. like, I think she was that grandma that's like, oh, but like, this is my grandkid. Like they deserve everything. Oh, my, kid's, my <laughs> um, kid is special. I'm not yeah. going to lie. Yeah, I've only seen the opposite in, in personal, like mm -hmm, anecdotal circumstances. Was, like, for the most part. Yeah, where parents or like the, the person accompanying the child will right. actually explain this is a service animal or this is a mm -hmm. guide dog. I don't think we can pet them or we need to ask permission. And that makes me very happy and pleased. Yeah. But uh, yeah. 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 I, yeah, I always find it funny. I, I find it funny because I was out with a friend one day and that's what was said. They, they, they said, hey, we were on a bus and. They said to the person, can my, can I pet your dog? And he said, oh, I'm sorry, no, he's working. Working? He's just laying there. Looks like he's sleeping. <laughs> yeah, okay, it's not the same kind was, of work. I was no like, help. I was, I was in Walmart, and honestly, I could hear this kid screaming from across the store. And Walmart is like, there's barely any tiny Walmarts. Like, this kid <laughs> threw a massive hissy fit. And, like, the grandma was polite, but you could tell that her nose was, like, definitely out of joint. Um yeah. But again, I just use all those kind of like opportunities, if you will, to like educate people and be like, yeah, sorry, okay. like if he was like, I, my kind of rule is if Patronus is laying down, uh, you know, like he was at a Christmas party, he was just laying under the table. If someone comes up and says, can I pet him? I'm like, yeah, sure. He's just chilling right now. Yes, he's got his harness on and he's ready to work whenever, but right now he's having a little bit of downtime. Mm. So sure, if you want to say hi to him, fine. But if he is actually in motion, like he was when we were at Walmart, no, sorry, my dog is not stopping to be yeah. distracted by you. That you know, so that you can. Just Who knows? The next question might be like, "Can I give him a treat?" No. Okay, we need to yeah. get out of here. Beth, thank you so much. We will Always. chat with you uh, later, maybe later this week. Beth Deer joins us for our uh, monthly guide dog service animal report today, and usually this is time we spend with Devin Wilkin. So glad we got that in for December. That child in Walmart screaming louder than somebody not allowing Rumia to have chocolate at Walmart. Mm. Coming up next, folks, on Know Your Rights, Danielle McLaughlin speaks with the Honorable Francis Kitely. We're going to be talking about a project that involves Afghan women judges who are now living in Canada. Please stick around. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Rumia return in a minute. Welcome back to the program, Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald. We are the hosts of the show. Thanks for being with us. And we're here weekdays, Monday through Fridays, from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. At 4 p.m. Eastern Time, you can join us, too. Always uh, glad to have you wherever you are out there uh, on the program. We're a little late in time here, so let's welcome in for Know Your Rights, Danielle McLaughlin. Did you know that everyone has rights? No matter who we are, we all qualify. 
But what happens when freedoms collide? The answers are rarely simple, but always interesting. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, to talk about civil liberties and human rights on Know Your Rights. Obviously, Danielle, always wonderful to have you back on the program. Great topics you bring to us and fantastic guests like you have today. I am really very happy today, Kelly, that we have a very special person with us. Fran Kitely retired from the Superior Court of Justice of Ontario in 2021, and she has been very busy ever since. In fact, I wanted to talk to her on the show for a while, and we finally got a date. I am delighted. One of the projects that we'll be finding out about today, one of Fran's special projects, involves Afghan women judges who are now living in Canada. Now, I do want to let you know that I've known Fran for many years because I had the enormous privilege of meeting Fran through the Ontario Justice Education Network. She is a stalwart person when it comes to ensuring that people in Canada are educated about their rights and about the legal system. So I want to specially welcome Fran Kitely to the Kelly and Ramia program. Welcome, Fran. Thank you, Danielle. And I'm very pleased to be with you and Kelly and Ramia today. Uh, just to go back a little bit with Danielle, I think we actually go back 20 years during which time. I'm afraid of that, I, yes. <laughs> I, I'm so impressed with Danielle's ability to teach incredible audiences, young and old, about human and civil rights in Canada. So it's, uh, it's delightful to be on the same show with you. Well, thank you so much. And we should just uh, only in passing mention that yesterday was the 75th anniversary of the uh, Declaration of Human Rights through the UN. And so this is particularly relevant in my view. Um, can you tell us a bit, Fran, about the Afghan women judges and how they came to Canada? Briefly, by way of background, for a period of about 20 years before the summer of 2021, so starting roughly about the year 2000, for 20 years, the countries from the West increasingly were active in Afghanistan in trying to evict and control the Taliban, which was a terrorist organization. By the winter of 2021, the West was starting to leave Afghanistan. And it became apparent that the Taliban were going to take over. They did take over in the summer of 2021. And the roughly 270 women, Afghan women judges in that country, almost immediately became targets. They had been uh, presiding in court proceedings, family law, criminal, civil, during which time members of the Taliban had received outcomes they might not like, including going to jail. One of the things the Taliban did almost immediately in 2021 was to open the jails. So uh, men who had received um, orders or incarceration from Afghan women judges made no bones about who they were coming out for. Overnight, literally, 270 Afghan women judges feared for their lives and the lives of their family and needed to evacuate. 
fast forward, and there are now 37 Afghan women judges and their families living in Canada. Wow, uh, that is, uh, it, it's really terrifying when, when you think about um, it, it practically turning into open season on those women judges in Afghanistan. I, I can't really imagine. You know, we've heard that women in Afghanistan currently are being prevented by the Taliban from even getting an education, but it hasn't always been easy for women uh, in Afghanistan at all. How was it possible for these women to become judges in the first place? So in that 20-year period up to 2021, when the Western countries were increasingly becoming active in the country, um, the Western countries were very um, um, ad adversarial, ad assertive rather, about creating civil society, recreating civil society, and education, of course, is key to that. So in that 20 years after uh, the West became involved up until early 2021, schools were established. Girls who hadn't been to school for a whole generation uh, were not only allowed but encouraged to go to school. Uh, at the time when the West came, first came in, in about the year 2000, women were were in the labor force at 0%, meaning they weren't in the labor force. Mm. So in that 20 years when the West was um, um, reintroducing civil society, um, so many women were allowed not only to get an education, but to enter careers, doctors, judges, lawyers, and uh, about... Uh, sorry, was there a question there? About 5% of women had been educated to the post-secondary stage by the summer of 2021, and that included our women. And uh, the, they had um, come, as the saying goes, a very long way to be educated and contributing, not only contributing to society, but contributing by reintroducing civil society rights, obligations. Wow. So they really acted not solely as judges, but as educators to the rest of the country when people could see themselves, women, I should say, could see could see themselves uh, in this role. And, and it became really important for people to understand that women can do this kind of work. And then all of a sudden they couldn't, um, which I find terribly, terribly disturbing. The people who've come here, the women who, who have come here, have they come alone or are they with their families? They are all with families and families have multiple uh, uh, definitions. So of the 20, of, of the 37 who are in Canada, most of them have a husband uh, some of them, very few, do not have a husband. Most of them have uh, children, uh, from one to three or four children. Some of them have uh, adult siblings, uh, brothers and sisters, sometimes a mother and a father. So for all of the 37 families in Canada and the 24 families uh, in Ontario, um, the, the family um, 
profile uh, is different. Uh, they brought as many members of their family as they could because in some areas, the members of the family became equally at risk as the judge. I would, Im I would imagine that they were th threatened as well. Um, Friend, do you have any idea of women uh, judges who did not get out of Afghanistan? Is, is there a, a number or people who have come here telling uh, a stories about their colleagues who have not been able to to leave? Um, I can't tell you stories about colleagues, but I can tell you this. Um, at the time that the um, West withdrew and the Taliban took over in the summer of 2021, an organization called the International Association of Women Judges had been quite active in Afghanistan, bringing educational programs, bringing mentoring, um, bringing technology programs to them. So the IAWJ, as it's called, had had significant communication with the judges. When the summer in July and August, when things became quite severe, many of the Afghan women judges reached out to the International Association of Women Judges. And uh, without going into any detail, they went into action to help rescue the uh, Afghan women judges and their families. Of the then 270 Afghan women judges in Afghanistan, my information is that 190 have succeeded in getting out. So there still remains uh, multiple dozens who uh, we do not know where they are, where, whether they have remained voluntarily in mm -hmm. Afghanistan whether they are in other countries, such as the neighboring uh, Pakistan. So we do know the success was 190 of the women judges and their families were withdrawn, evacuated, escaped. That's, that's very impressive. Now, how have Canadian women judges like yourself, and I know that you're, you're currently retired, but how have uh, the Afghan women judges been assisted by uh, our judges? In the uh, early part of 2022, uh, um, at a time when the, Canadian, the International Association of Women Judges were so active in evacuations, Canada agreed to receive 40 Afghan women judges and their family. The Canadian chapter of the International Association of Women Judges then went into overdrive. And with the help of um, still sitting, as we call it, active, uh, judges, they created a system, uh, first of all, of pre-arrival judges who would reach out by um, WhatsApp or messaging to the Afghan woman judge where they were on a lily pad, which was the term used to a, a country while they waited to get access to Canada. So the pre-arrival judges were reaching out to them, starting a conversation about Canada and about them. On arrival, of the 37 judges in Canada, each one of them was assigned uh, one, if not two or three Canadian judges to assist them, to provide support for them professionally um, and to help them integrate into Canadian society. So in Ontario, for example, where there's these 24 families, the, um, the currently active judges, there are at least 48 of them, at least two for each family, 
um, who are what we call partner judges. And the Afghan judges are called sister judges. And so the women partner judges have literally done what they can to establish sister relationships with the Afghan women judges in Ontario and the rest of Canada. So that's judges who are still judging. Um, those who continue to judge are limited in what they can do to seek resources, either for Afghan judges or others. It's very important that judges be seen to be and be independent. Sure. Retired judges are not subject to such restrictions. And so the role that I have played and other retired judges is to locate and to try to get resources for them. So, for example, the one resource that um, I have been particularly involved in in Ontario is having to do with English language. They all have the all of the Afghan women judges have come with some language, but all of them need a lot of training. And uh, some of your listeners might know the community colleges in Ontario are one place where um, people can get uh, English for um, uh, academic purposes. Um, and by getting a name from a name, I reached out to a woman by the name of Trish Coles, who is the chair of the ESL department at Centennial College. And I had a few emails and a couple of phone calls with her to describe what was happening with these Afghan women judges and their families. And um, asked her, could Centennial College make some special arrangements? She, she was uh, so delightful in almost instantly saying, this is exactly the kind of work that Centennial College takes pride in. And she went straight to the president, Dr. Craig Stevenson, and then to the dean of the School of English, Dira Mira Mather. And within weeks, Centennial had committed to waiving tuition for two and in some cases three semesters of an English for academic purposes program and it has really been wonderful mm -hmm. to hear it, uh, you know it, it 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 it's really heartwarming to know that there are people when they learn about the situation they're willing to do something and do something really uh productive I'm very happy to to hear about that um I guess some of the women are um currently employed but because the 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 uh, the kind of law practice in Afghanistan is quite different from that in Canada. I guess it's not likely that that they will requalify to be judges in Canada, is it? Uh, it on the basis of their current credential credentials, it's unlikely. But can I just go back to the beginning of your question, Danielle? Uh, yes, very just, few... I'm afraid we just have about thirty seconds left, Fran. Oh. I'm afraid, but okay. yes, please. Um, very few of them are employed. Um, they all really want to get a legal related employment in due course. And uh, I, along with others, including a professor at Toronto Metropolitan University, are seeking out opportunities at the universities and other community colleges about how we can help them become uh, uh, you know, self-supporting members of Canadian society where they will know not only their rights, but the rights of others. Well, thank you so much. I, you, you've, you know, you've, you've opened up a whole story that most of us know nothing about, and I really appreciate your sharing your time and experience with us today, Fran. My pleasure. Thank you, Danielle and Kelly and Ramya. 
Thank, Thank you. you so much. That was the Honorable Frances Kitely speaking with us today about Afghan women judges who've come to Canada and her role in helping them. So engaging. Thank you, Danielle. Uh, just a wonderful conversation, as usual. Uh, we will step aside for a couple of moments. Rummy and I will return. Just remember, I know your rights every Monday right here on Kelly and Rummya. In a moment, we'll wrap up the show and see what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Rummya after this short break. Just about to put a bow. I got to say that a couple of times before Christmas. You know it, folks. You know it. <laughs> on our program, as we're wrapping it up today, we'll tell you in just a second what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown. We have our closing moment for you as well. Um, want to remind you, subscribe to the podcast, please. Give us a rating and review while you're in there. And listen to the show in segment form or the complete Kelly and uh, Rumya podcast today. I toss in an audio vanity card on the end of the full show. Rum, what's going on over tomorrow morning on Now with Dave Brown? Okay, 9 a.m. Eastern time, and Alex Smythe is filling in for Dave this week. They're talking with contributor John Lubke, who's discussing online holiday traditions for people with disabilities, and community reporter Dorothy McNaughton loves to walk for pleasure and exercise, so she's going to tell us more about the walking track at the Northern Community Centre in St. Uh, uh, Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Also, of course, because it's Tuesday, they got the weekly news quiz. Contestants are Alicia Yardley, Karen McGee, and Alex Smythe, the host of the show. Um, Dorothy would absolutely love that seawall in Vancouver. Oh, yeah. I wonder if she's ever walked on that. It's so wow. nice. I love the boardwalk idea in general, and it's nice to do uh, that they kind of make it festive around the wintertime as well, regardless of how cold it is with the wind coming off the water. Just love multi-purposing stuff. Mm -hmm. Our closing moment today, folks. Strange witch bottles have been washing up on the shores of uh, Texas's coast. Uh, such bottles date back as far as the 16th century and, according to lore, contain spells or even evil spirits trapped in them. Researcher Jace Cronell describes the bottles as counter-magic devices created to draw in and trap harmful intentions directed at their owners. Yikes. Individuals who felt they were targeted by curses, and I don't just mean those words we can't say on the show, or spells, <laughs> might fill a bottle with objects such as iron nails, fingernail clippings, and human hair <laughs> in order to rid themselves of the dark intentions. The bottles have no dates on them and could be coming as far as away as uh, Western Africa or even South America. Now, the suggestion he has to be on the safe side, it's best not to open a witch bottle if you find one, because who knows what you might let out. <laughs> Tadell keeps his collection of unopened bottles in his backyard because his wife won't let them in the house. Okay. No yeah, with somebody's and, uh, nail clippings and hair in it? I don't think so. Yeah. Bury I that think she stuff. does that too, just to keep him outside too. No, you stay. You've been <laughs> yes. hanging with your bottles. You Go hang out, out with your with friends. Your <laughs> yeah, probably half the time the bottles are outside. Are he they is. filled with the nail clips? How big are these bottles? I have so many follow-up questions. I bet they're not too big. I bet you the nails take most of it. But and human Yuck. hair, like how many thousands of strands? 
But human hair will stay. I like, don't think they're filled. Like maybe they're just a no. little bit, right? Yeah, and that's probably it, right? It's that's amazing still when you gross. think of all the junk in the water that how many of these are still, or why they're washing up there. Does this say something about Yeah, they're about floating, Texas? and I know. Sorry, sorry, Is that people in Texas. Just kidding. Yeah, it's got to be just the way the way, but and where they come from, and just the way the waters carry them. Yeah. But it's Tomorrow like the evil eye thing, right? Anyways, sorry. Oh, oh, it for sure is. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow on our program on Ask a Vet with Danielle Johnkind, we talk about some of the anatomical quirks that some pets have. Also, what is indigestion? How can we treat it? We might be asking more of these questions around the holidays because of our sickening eating habits this time of year. So Francis Wong is going to tell us more on our wellness segment. Just think about where you're collecting the hair and nails from that you're putting I in that bottle. I don't want to know. Yikes. We're waving at you, folks. Talk to you tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern. So, here in Canada, for the sports fans, the heartbreak began on Saturday afternoon. Woo! Shohei Atani does not sign with the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, it's always fun, and I think we can go outside of sports even for this. There's just things you hope, you know. Um, Taylor Swift coming to Canada to perform. People just wanted it. A lot of noise was made, so she scheduled some concerts, and people were willing to travel across the country to go see it. In my mind, I, I, somebody's not in my area, and I'll say Toronto area, between Toronto, Detroit kind of thing, since I'm in southwestern Ontario, Canada, but out in B.C., out on the East Coast in Halifax or, or New Brunswick. No, no, I wouldn't even think of it. It wouldn't even enter my mind. Uh, maybe across the border into Detroit or Buffalo to go see a show. When it comes to sports and to think of the Blue Jays and the Toronto Raptors as Canada's teams because they're the in their respective leagues, the only teams here. So you think, wow, how powerful it would be and how cool it would be if somebody like that signed what that means, um, how they would be embraced by the whole country, yada, yada, yada. We've heard this just with players who do well and get on the team and get a, get either one going on a run. All that's tremendous. But then you look at who the competitor, the word is out, and hey, it's the Los Angeles Dodgers. So they're going to end up with him. They do. But you start wondering things afterward to make yourself feel better when you can't, you know. Somebody you really want to see on your team, it's just not, it wasn't going to happen. There was just no way it was going to happen. And all you can do is say, okay, you know, it makes sense even beforehand. It makes sense as it's coming down and afterward. Is it a good thing to be excited? Is it a good thing to totally always think, well, it's never going to happen, you know, kind of like, oh, their grapes are probably sour anyway. There's no way he'd ever come here. And some of us feel safer and more comfortable with doing it, even though it's the thing you want the most. Um, I kind of had fun with it. There's some parts of it I said, okay, knock that off. But I liked just the conversation. The Blue Jays were front runners, even if they were thrown out there just as a team to help jack up the price, which, you know, sometimes happens. But did I really want the Blue Jays stuck into paying that kind of money for 10 years, 700 million, even 500 million when I heard it was that originally? Not really. But somebody who really could bring people in, whether you're winning or losing, and bring the attention from Japan to the U.S. to Canada, which is really where his heaviest attention would be. He's gigantic. So I'm like everybody, kind of disappointed on, on one hand. Do I think we have business to do and a little more panicked about, okay, Blue Jays, you waited long enough now. Get to work. You know, you've got to replenish the kitty. And how does things work? Yeah, but it, but 
you do get fascinated, just like we did when Coy Leonard played for the Raptors. What does this mean? What can come in this? So I got to say to Blue Jays management and Rodgers, who were very hard on, they won't spend the money. They shouldn't even own a team. Fedora's off, guys. Thanks for at least something to get excited about that, to me, was more than just, let's say the Blue Jays so we can jack up the price if they think there's another competitor. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.